Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Legal Ops Podcast, where we talk about everything legal operations, legal business, and legal technology. My name's Alex Rosenrauch. And I'm Elliot Liebu. This is our Clock uh, 2023 episode. So this is all about the Clock Global Institute, which took place what is it, Alex, a couple of weeks ago at the time mm. of recording. We're in late May at the moment uh, in Las Vegas. Alex and I were very glad to attend the event. And while we were there, we did a whole bunch of recordings, uh, went to a number of sessions, uh, spoke to a number of vendors and uh, other attendees, and we took recordings of the whole thing. And what we want to do in this episode is to bring that kind of feeling from the event to the episode. So if you weren't there and you'd like to know what it's like uh, to be at clock, then this is the episode for you. And if you were there and you want to relive it, also the episode for you. Uh, now, there's a few things just to mention. So uh, this this is the uh, sort of cornerstone event, which is run by Clock, the uh, Corporate Legal Operations Consortium. So it's the largest or one of the largest um, events in legal operations in the world. It happens annually, as I said, in Las Vegas. Um, it runs from, uh, well, every year it runs from a Tuesday to sort of midday uh, on a Thursday. And as you will hear from the recordings, there's a whole bunch of stuff that goes on around the event, including on the Monday night before the event has started. Um, Now, one thing we definitely want to point out here is that um, this is a sponsored episode. We were very grateful to um, be sponsored by Evisort, uh, one of the contract lifecycle management firms. Um, And as a consequence, there's a bunch of interviews in this episode with a number of Evisort people and also their uh, customers and we spoke to them about partly about the, what they're doing, partly about the industry. We had um, sort of one of their clients who, who had attended six clocks in a row. So a bunch of really good stuff there. Um, quick note, lots of stuff about AI in this episode. <laughs> Alex, did you, were you AI'd out? No, I never get AI'd out. More AI. It's <laughs> underhyped, as Alex Sue said. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Um, and look, essentially what we're going to do here is just sort of follow um, the structure of the event. As I said, we took recordings uh, in a whole um, long sort of list of sessions and a whole list of conversations that we had throughout the event. So we're just going to follow it as we went along. Alex and I will interject with some discussions along the way. We think this is going to be a long episode. We've got, we've got well over an hour um, of audio, so maybe listen to it in chunks if that's, if that's your thing. Uh, and Alex, on. one thing before we get into it, sure. we went to Vegas, baby. It doesn't have the same ring to it though. <laughs> <laughs> no, it doesn't have the same ring as when you're driving into Las Vegas. Yeah. Yeah. When you're going to go yes. to Vegas, it's, it's a lot more exciting, but, um, I'm just as excited. Maybe, maybe not as excited as I was getting there, but, um, excited nonetheless. Well, look, well it might be worth just saying, I mean, I, I mean, I had a blast. So glad mm. we'd be there. Catching up with so many people in the industry, oh. um, seeing the mm, passion, I suppose, that, yep. that is evident from pretty much every session, pretty much every engagement, um, the energy at the event is fantastic. Mm, every, um, every single person yeah. that you meet is just, you know, super into it, drank the Kool-Aid, super excited <laughs> about legal ops. Everyone's got an interesting story to tell. It's just yeah, you, you walk away from these kind of events and you're really excited. So to all of those people that we met, thank you for sharing your story. Thank you for stopping us having a chat. I think we handed out a bunch of stickers. So I'm expecting uh, those stickers to be on everyone's laptops, uh, please. <laughs> all right. Shall we listen to our thoughts on the uh, opening session? Let's do it. 
Alex, opening session of Clock 2023. What do you think? Uh, It was good, as it always is. You walk in, there's, I think, probably, what, like two and a half, three thousand people again? A lot. It's a massive kind of event. And if I can paint a picture, you walk in, there's tons of tables, two massive screens, this awesome backdrop. You know, Jen walks out, (laughs) does the, uh, can I call it like an Apple-style presentation? I don't know. Yeah, Yeah. it was really good. So we should be clear. So Jen McCarran, Mm. so uh, head of Legal Ops, director of Legal Ops, not sure the exact title, at Netflix. Um, And she was the MC last year. She was the MC this year again. And she wanted, her her sort of focus was uh, she wanted to blow up some myths Mm. about uh, legal transformation. And so maybe we'll just go through them quickly. So myth number one was that transformation means doing a lot. And I think the central point here was that uh, legal ops people tend to try to do too much. Yeah. Uh, but really it's about what you don't do. Mm. Well, I think there's a classic tendency of like just wanting to do great, right? These are usually brand new roles in organizations. Mm. So they're trying to show their value really quickly. And often that is trying to solve many, many problems for many, many different people to build their brand. So I can see why people do that. I can also see now why there's a transfer to, well, you know, if we do a couple of things really, really well, that's better than doing a lot of things okay. Mm. I think that was the point. Well, I think there's a wider point there as well, right? We tend to do this in our lives more generally. Um, Yeah, we tend to, uh, you know, take on a lot, say yes to too many things and yep. then everything suffers, right? So not just in a work context. Yep. Um, myth number two, transformation is a linear controlled process. And again, uh, here I think this was about uh, the, the idea that sort of innovation is uncertain and often that the best sort of things happen when you don't expect it. They happen by accident. Mm. Um, thoughts on that? Well, what I took away from that actually was to, to improvise, you know, mm. be creative. And it was interesting because I was trying to think about that in the context of the first myth, which was don't do everything. Because you might set your plan at the start of the year and say, okay, we've identified 20 opportunities and we're actually only going to do three, right? So we're going to say no, as Jen kind of said a few times, to some other things. But as you kind of go, those three might turn into four for legitimate reasons or that four might turn into two and, and so on and so forth. So like what I took away was you have to be agile. She didn't use the word agile, which I thought was interesting, but you have to be responsive um, and creative and kind of just go with the flow. So on one hand, you want to be judicious on what you do. But on the other hand, you probably want to be a little bit flexible and also able to respond to your environment. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a good point, actually. I think there's almost like a conflict between yeah. the two points, which <laughs> right. is, I suppose is the point you're making. Yeah. But, uh, you know, if you, if, if you say that innovation is uncertain and you might have great ideas when you least expect it, but then you're going to pare back on how much stuff you try to do, <laughs> it's tricky, might yeah. you be paring back the things and the places where that yeah. um, innovation might arise? Um, hmm. I'm going to give that some more thought. Um, All right, myth number three uh, is that you have to be the star. And I think the point here was, uh, you know, the point of a good leader is to empower a team, make sure you grow and develop people. Mm. Um, Not sure if you had a lot more to add there. Oh, well, uh, again, what I took away from it was kind of succession. And, you know, don't be the star, work collaboratively. But I think the, the vibe that I got was, you know, if you are a leader in a legal operations function and you are getting bigger, stepping back and allowing your team to do the presentations, like Jen said, Mm. Um, you know, be front and center and kind of win as a team, I think Mm. was great. And I think she called it legacy planning. Legacy planning, yeah. yeah, Legacy planning, which I think is just a word for uh, developing your team, essentially. Yeah, yeah, which I think is great. I think that's great. Yeah. And then we had Mike, Mike Haven. um, Again, not sure his exact title. I think he's head of legal ops or director of legal ops at Intel. Yeah. 
Legalbox podcast guest on more than one occasion. <laughs> and good friend. <laughs> and good friend. Just read into him in the in the hall here. Um, he had a lot of points to make. He was really high energy, excellent mm. talk. Uh, I'll just go through a few of the of my notes here. Uh, he he made the point that you know AI obviously is becoming a real tool at scale, uh, and this has happened virtually overnight. And he doesn't think it's a hype cycle. He thinks this is real. It's going to have a huge effect on legal operations. And then he made the point um, that legal ops has a responsibility to ensure that it is carefully and ethically uh, implemented in legal, mm. which I think is a really good point, actually. Yeah, well, I mean, I'll, I'll come back to... to well, actually, I'll talk about that point and I'll come back to my other sure. points, but if not us, then who? Right? Mm. In an organisation, a legal organisation, if we are bringing in these transformation types of technologies, who's going to be the responsible one that's mm. going to look after it? It's, it's probably us, and that's mm. what Mike was saying. Um, like you, I mean, I took away generative AI will play a major role in legal transformation. I think that's good. The big thing is, like you said, it's it's not it's not hype, which is interesting. And this isn't to say anything against Mike, but every time something was hype and then didn't turn out to be hype, always starts as hype. Yes, yeah. <laughs> so yeah. we'll just have to see, I guess. Um, but I'm, you know, definitely in that camp. Um, what I found was that there was, you know, a call to action, like you said, when it comes to taking responsibility. So not only, hey, let's all get on board, let's be massive proponents of this, but you know, with great power comes great responsibility for mm. all the Spider-Man fans mm. out there. And, you know, what can legal operations do? Like, what can you do individually within the you know, community to make sure that, um, yeah, it works out? Mm. He also mentioned that legal has moved from the, and I'm quoting him here, the back burner to the front burner. Mm, that's a new one. Yeah, and that, um, you know, legal ops need to sort of continue to drive this. And I think that's a point that was made by uh, Mary O'Carroll mm. last year mm. at Clock, where, you know, it used to be uh, sort of a, a, a background function driving the efficiency of the legal team in the case of legal ops. Uh, I think he was making this point about legal, but I think it's true of legal ops as well. Mm. And that really the role of both teams, both legal ops and the broader legal team, is to drive business outcomes. So, right, yeah. I think the the analogy last time was the back room to the boardroom. Mm. So we've changed from back room to the boardroom to the back burner to the what, front burner? Yeah. Yeah, cool. Mm. I like it. Mm. Um, some other things I got down here. So Clock has 6,000 members now Wow. globally, which was mm. cool. And I think... From 60 I didn't, countries, I think they yeah, said? Yeah, well, mm. I, yes. There was 25 different countries represented at this mm. institute, which mm. I think is is really, really cool. And I guess the, the biggest unkept secret I think you mentioned is that the institute, which has always been held at Bellagio mm. in, in Vegas, is now moving to the Aria, mm. which is still in Vegas mm. and, I don't know, a couple of casinos down, I mm. guess. Mm. Yeah, I don't know much about Aria, <laughs> but um, <laughs> hopefully cool. we get here next year and we can uh, see what it's like Well, then. you said different experiences, so I'm yeah. curious to know what those are going to be. So mm. I guess we'll just have to wait and find out. Mm. Uh, and so then we had uh, the uh, sort of, I don't, I don't know what to call it, the professional um, uh, entertainer, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, a person called InQ, uh, literally I N Q, uh, and he is a poet and a performer. Uh, and he did a whole bunch of poet, uh, poetry, essentially, mm. but sort of acted out on stage, um, as well as a bunch of, uh, I suppose, sort of little sessions to get people hyped up and motivated. Is <laughs> Which probably is the way always to put something it. people love. <laughs> yes, yeah, that's right. At, uh, what was it? Nine o'clock in the morning. Yeah. Um, and look, I won't. You know, can't. Not going to try to summarize poetry here, but uh, all I'll say is that there was some really profound stuff and yeah. Uh, yeah some of it was really good yeah yeah I think we were just literally talking to Mike as he was walking through the halls before and it was kind of like corporate slam poetry but yes. but like good yeah <laughs> and positive yeah 
Yeah, so overall thoughts? I thought it was great. I think it was great. The opening session is always really good. Um, I think the best thing about this year is I've got a lot more energy, I think. Yeah. Um, so, you know, being able to stay awake and that, that kind of stuff. Um, and it was good to meet some new people. I mean, that's one of the things that I said I wanted to do, and I've already done that, and we're only like an hour and a half in. So. One, of the, one of the big reasons we're here. Yeah, All yeah, right, yeah. let's get on to our next session. Let's do it. All right, we're back, and I don't know about you, Elliot, but that just brings back a flood of memories. Now, that wasn't even that long ago. This, that was what, two two weeks ago, roughly? Mm. What's today? Monday on recording. But yeah, t- two weeks ago brings mm. back so much uh, memories. How about mm. you? Oh, absolutely. Um, in part just because of the sort of background noise while yeah. we were sitting there recording. Um, you mentioned that we spoke to Mike in the hallway. Who, who, yeah. Which Mike are you talking about? The Mike, Mike Haven. Um, I th- well, so we were recording that episode and he walked past, right? Is that? I can't I remember. So. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I think yeah. so. So yeah. when we said, hey, look, there's Mike, it's the Mike, Mike Haven. Uh, yeah, so who is the president of Clock? Oh. Um, yeah. <laughs> oh, that's that. what you're asking. Talk about name dropping, Alex. Um, yeah, 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 a few times. Yeah. Right, so unusually, uh, at least compared to last year, um, in previous years, so I, this is this was actually my third time going, that I went to 2019, last year in 2022 and this year in 2023. In previous years, there's been sort of sessions immediately following the opening session. So you could go to the opening session and then go straight into yeah. Um, you know, sort of talks by the various vendors and that kind of thing. Um, this time there actually wasn't any of that. So there was about a good, I don't know, hour and a half, hour and a half break yeah. or so. Mm. And I think the sort of intention was to get you into the vendor exhibit hall to chat to some of the vendors and that mm. is what we did. Uh, so do you want to relive our first impressions walking into the vendor exhibit hall? Well, actually, before we do that, um, maybe just explain the brain date thing, which I thought was quite cool. So brain date was another thing that um, was kind of new this year and it was kind of like a system... I think it was part of the app, the the clock app, but basically you could book a brain date, which is you created a topic and that topic might be why is um, Elliot's fashion trend so good? And then a ton of people come to that brain date and have a discussion, right? Mm. Um, there was also really interesting brain dates. I think Alex Sue did one to create a TikTok, which I, I think you can actually watch on his TikTok. So that was new and I thought it was quite cool. We didn't get to do one, but um, you know, if it's around next year, we'll definitely do it. Definitely. Um, all right, let's get those first impressions. Do it. All right, Elliot, um, we are about to walk into the vendor hall. Uh, we haven't both been in here, so this is kind of first impressions. You ready? Apparently there's 116 exhibitors. Right. So it's a pretty big room. Might be a bit loud. Let's do it. Let's do it. All right. All right, so we're walking in. <laughs> <laughs> Through the doors. <laughs> wow. All right, so immediately, um, this is a massive room. I, I, mean, I don't know if I can estimate, but... How far away do you reckon that is? That's like 50 meters. Uh, yeah, Even I reckon more. it's a good, maybe not 50, but it's a good 40 by 40 probably. 40 it's by 40. It's a very big space. It is a massive space. And, and look, one thing I would say, and my immediate impression is that I, I, I have very little perspective. So there's so many booths in front of me that all I can really see is a wall of booths, right? <laughs> so I don't have any perspective on the room because yeah. there's so many people, so many booths here. I know. They've got the coffee stand, which I think is going to be important for a lot of people. <laughs> including <laughs> me, surely. Including me as well. Um, like should we take a food. walk down yeah. the middle? I reckon let's go head off in this direction. Let's do it. Now we, we are planning to uh, chat with some of the, um, the exhibitors. It'll either go in our sort of main episode or we might do a separate one, but either way, people will get some impressions from the exhibitors. Um, now, we're coming to towards the middle of the room here, and there's a bunch of big screens up, actually, with... Um, oh, this is the uh, this is the brain date area, I oh, think. Oh, nice. Yeah. A lot of dates going on. Oh, we can see... I can see Alex Sue hanging out with his nice white sneaks. With Katrina, I think it is. 
Um, yeah, and so from this perspective in the middle of the room here, we actually have more perspective on the room, right? Because there's an open space in the middle. And we've got vendors down both sides, a bunch of tables where I think lunch will be in this room. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, you know, the idea is to get people in here, get people chatting to the vendors. I think this is different as well this year. We've got tables in the in the kind of vendor room. Like last year it was just all booths. It looks like we've got tables for people to hang out on, yeah. have a conversation, have a coffee. I think that'll be lunch probably would be my guess, but uh, I yes, might be proven wrong. Well, I think... This is pretty cool. We're going to look around, speak to some tech vendors, see what kind of cool stuff we can find out. Absolutely. Sounds great. Let's do it. Those are our first impressions of the vendor exhibit hall. We spent quite a bit of time wandering around, chatting to some of the vendors, and eventually we started speaking with Hal Marcus, who is the Vice President of Product Marketing for Evisort. We spoke about his plans for the conference and how vendors generally are approaching the conference. And then we started chatting about how Evisort is thinking about the role of AI in its products. So great discussion. Let's check it out. We're here with Hal Marcus from Evisort. Hal, what do you do for Evisort? I'm Vice President of Product Marketing for Evisort. And Hal, I'm interested to know, um, you know, what is the plan for the conference today? What are you guys going to be doing while you're here? Yeah, what's the plan? We are talking to everybody. We've got a session this afternoon at 2.40 uh, with one of our customers, Workday, uh, where we're exploring uses of AI in, uh, for CLM and for contract management generally. We also have a fireside chat happening tomorrow, and we're just hopping right now. It's been great. It's going to be a lot of talk about AI, I think. Uh, now, you went to the opening session this morning. Want to get some of your thoughts? So, yeah, tell me what you thought. Absolutely. It was good to hear Mike call that out and just that this is you know, a transformational time for AI. This is not hype. This is not flash in the pan. This is something that also isn't really new. What's new is the generative aspect. Mm. But AI has been building to this point for some time. I've been working on AI for legal applications for over a decade. But now we're at such a right point with contract management with what AI is capable to do. Because now it's going beyond the extraction of understanding what's in your agreements. It's actually creating the agreements. It's redlining the agreements. And we're just scratching the surface of what the capabilities are now by combining the kind of proven technologies like we have for extracting information from contracts with new generative AI capabilities. So the future's pretty exciting right now. And, and how? what about Jen's thoughts on transforming the way we transform? I mean, have you got a, have you got a thought on that? Well, like, what, what is Eversort doing in terms of, yeah, transforming the way we transform? Well, I think what she was going for there was think in terms of how you, how you achieve the result. Don't think that it's a linear path to do mm. it. We adopt this technology and then things change. There's so much more nuance to it and there's missteps along the way. And I, I like that kind of philosophy. I also liked her idea that, you know, you'll get 75% of the way down the road and then start having doubts about it. That's healthy. I think yeah. that that's exactly the right way to look at it. Uh, it's one of the reasons that our a key approach for Evisort is to work with customers in advance on proofs of concept. We will say, you know, the thing that you want to use when it's all deployed, we'll deploy it now for you. Mm. Bring all that data in so you can have that experience, see what's happening with your contracts, see what insights you can pull out of them right now. Because we're confident once you've had that experience, any worries about AI, any uncertainty at all, it just goes out the window. Mm. 
Mm. And, and just on that point, actually, so, you know, it's well known that AI uh, has the potential to be false and hallucinate and that kind of thing. So what are the sort of thoughts there? Is there any need to sort of do something to specifically address that problem in either generally in sort of tech products or in yours specifically? It's great that you call that out. So this is the thing. We've got so many folks jumping right now on GPT. And GPT is wonderful and exciting, but you're right. GPT does also hallucinate <laughs> from time to time. And GPT was not created for contracts. It's created for language more generally. So the approach that we're taking is we're using our own proprietary proven AI that we've developed since 2016, and that's already in the hands of hundreds of customers. And we're using that for the core extractions, for the understanding what's in your agreements, merging it with generative AI on top of that for the redlining, for the clause creation, for the things that only generative AI can do. So it's, this is actually one of four categories of AI within our product, from pre-trained to user-driven to, to iterative guided AI, as we call it, to now the generative aspect. By using the best of each of these, we think we've got you know, the ability to unlock all these capabilities now. If you just jump right into GPT, you know, all the way, you know, 100%, mm. well, then there, there's some shaking out to be done on this. There's a lot of specialized training to be done. There's a lot of work on prompting that's needed to make sure you're getting the results that you want. So, you know, we're taking a more measured approach in how we use it, but still using the cutting edge tech at every step. Thanks so much, Hal, for coming on the show. Have a great, com a great conference and good luck. Great, good talking to you, Elliot, thanks. All right, that was a good chat with Hal. Now, look, we end up going to a... Actually, we, we had a split up for this one because we had mm. a clash, which only happened, I think, once mm. during the two days. But I went to a session um, with Mary O'Carroll and mm. I think almost half the conference went <laughs> to the same session. Uh, I would guess more. Probably. Yeah, it was yeah. it was standing room only. Now, it was a big room. I think they could have chosen a bigger room if they could, but there was standing room only and... Um, the title of the session was the next frontier of legal work, generative AI. So, hey Alex, before we before mm. we let me just interrupt you. So, Mary O'Carroll, who's yeah. Mary, apart apart from oh. being a previous legal ops, legal ops podcast guest, who is Mary? So she's the chief community officer of Ironclad. Mm -hmm. uh, prior to that, she was the head of legal operations, actually director of legal operations mm. and kind of technology mm -hmm. at Google. So. Yeah. She's been around. Fun fact, actually, I was talking to ChatGPT the other day mm -hmm. and I was asking uh, who are the most influence, influential people in legal ops mm -hmm. and they said Mary O'Carroll and mm -hmm. actually Connie Brenton. So, right. um, yeah, one, um, one, one other previous title, the, the, the immediate um, past president of the oh, yeah. organization. Yeah, yes. exactly. Yeah. So, so, yeah, definitely been around um, and any kind of session that she runs, I think, garners a lot of interest, but particularly mm -hmm. a session that has... The next frontier of legal work, generative AI. Like with the title like that, you're going to have a lot of people going. And she did not disappoint, right? So I'm not going to go into detail because you'll listen to the recording, but mm. there were some interesting hot takes, um, some really good learnings and some spicy things to hear. So let's kick into it. Alex, you just came out of Mary O'Carroll's session on mm. generative AI. Tell us about it. Feeling pumped. Um, it was an awesome session, as I think a lot of people were anticipating. Standing room only. Uh, I think they should have chosen a bigger room, maybe the big conference hall. Um, look, the conversation was about AI, generative AI. And, you know, she kind of offsided saying with the fact that, you know, before generative AI, it was AI <laughs> was expensive and kind of mainly hype. 
And I think we, we still don't know exactly how expensive it's going to be to implement generative AI, so I'm not sure about that point, but definitely on the hype side of things. Um, there is definitely a, a shift from everyone thinking AI is, is hype and you know, we're at the peak of inflated expectations, et cetera, to actually this is different. This feels really different. It feels more real. Well, it feels more real, and, I, and I'm yet to figure out why. I've been asking a lot of questions around what is, what is that catalyst? Like, what's that shift? And I haven't got an answer to that yet. So maybe we'll ask a few more questions and we'll get there. She also mentioned the Goldman Sachs research, which I think we've mentioned on a previous podcast, which is that 44% of work can be replaced by generative AI or displaced by generative AI. And she kind of said that, and, um, you know, the audience kind of gawked a little bit, and everyone kind of then agreed, like, yes. Now... They didn't talk about should it be, it's just could it be, um, which I thought was which was great. She also then just mentioned that one of the difficulties in this generative AI space, particularly within legal, is that there are basically no benchmarks to measure against. Like, we are flying blind right now. Um, we're on a roller coaster. <laughs> we're strapped in. We're going forward, but we don't know where we're going to go. And without that benchmark, how do we know what good looks like? How do we know what bad looks like? And... Um, it's, it's difficult to get it right, and you don't know if you are going to get it right, so you have to take quite a lot of risks. <clears throat> the other advice she had was kind of go broad when you're learning about AI. So if you want to go out and learn more about this, don't just research you know, legal generative AI. Research generative AI. <laughs> I mean, there are a lot of knowledge workers that are thinking about this, and perhaps some of the best thinking isn't going to come out of legal, right? So looking outside of legal... One of the spiciest parts, which I really enjoyed, was, well, which kind of broad product categories are going to be displaced the most? Um, and that was document management, knowledge management, and legal research. And they all made sense to me. And I'll pause here and ask you a question, but my thoughts on the document management side of things, yeah, absolutely. I think there's always obviously going to be a place for a place to store documents, but that's not what document management is. Think about document management as really sophisticated tools in tagging your information, right? There are some tools right now that can do that quickly uh, and fairly good. There's some tools out there that can service information really, really quick, but you still have to use kind of tags and kind of advanced search and that kind of stuff. Generative AI is just literally going to change change all of that, tip it on a head, and I think it's going to put all of the document management solutions on the same playing field, mm-hmm. right? Um, on the kind of knowledge management side of things, what is knowledge management? We talk about that quite often. But if we think of knowledge management as just managing the most important asset for your legal function, which is the knowledge, whether that is tagging, precedence, knowledge, know-how, things like that, right? Again, generative AI is going to be able to do that probably quicker, more effectively um, in the future. And then legal research. I mean, that's fairly obvious. obvious. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But yeah, what are your thoughts on those? Do you think they're right? I, um, look, I haven't thought deeply about this, um, but one comment I would make is that uh, that point around various different tools, various different players being on a level playing field mm. is something I think you and I have touched on a number of times. With the car analogy, right? Like the engine. And the, right, yeah. yeah. And, and I just think that's such a big deal for the industry, the legal tech industry, the tech industry more generally, actually. Mm. Um, and so, yes, I can see how um, this new sort of, I don't want to say shiny tool, this new tool, which seems to have raised the bar to such an extent that a lot of the old stuff 
is no longer relevant is a massive shift for the market. So absolutely. To come back more directly to your question, I think a lot depends on uh, what you mean by those terms, document management, knowledge management. You touched on it a little bit yourself. Um, But I absolutely agree that if what you're talking about is something that can, in an automated way, assess what is in a contract or or a communication or an email or whatever it is Mm. and apply some kind of metadata to it and previously you had your own maybe in-house sort of produced model that could do that and now again you've got this new thing which is performing at such a higher um, level of accuracy um, that yes I think that again is a fundamental shift and I can see how that would rapidly disrupt um, those industries. Yeah I mean there's you know systems that do um uh, what's it called? Um, predictive filing, for instance, for like emails mm-hmm. and stuff. And like it gets it gets it pretty good, and like that's been a great kind of advancement. But go beyond that now. So it's not just like auto um, filing, but it's auto tagging, and then retrieval is a lot easier. Like it just it's like that on steroids. Yeah, well, exactly. And that's it's a kind of that's sort of what I was going to say. The, the steroids point. So have we reached a point where the capability has increased to such an extent? that whilst we're sort of in the same ballpark, actually, you know, it's a really different type of thing. And I think yeah. that'll remain to be seen, but it seems like the answer to that question is yes. Right. Mm. Um, some other spicy points is she mentioned, she kind of had this analogy of like a, like a playing board, like a, like a chessboard, for instance. And she talked about how the, the kind of the, the leaderboard is mm. going to change. And what she meant by that is companies that have invested in, in technology predominantly um, or, uh, sorry, were the kind of early investors in, in that technology potentially have backed the wrong horse? Mm. Like, there are going to be two types of people, like, in broadly categorized. People that invested in technology early on that, say, built a really amazing tech stack that do a bunch of really cool things, and the ones that didn't. Mm. And the ones that didn't were, you know, always ones that were kind of held back. Mm. Now, these new solutions that are going to be pretty much old solutions on steroids... I'm going to put those people that didn't invest in a really interesting position. Yeah, well, just just to tease that out a little more, because we were chatting about it before we started recording, the idea, if I could just sort of uh, play it back to you, is that if you're a a tech vendor and previously you had not invested in AI, either at all or very much, and there's a whole lot of other organisations out there that invested a lot of money in AI, and now this new thing comes along, which again is performing at such a higher level of capability, that actually... It turns out you may have been better not to invest earlier. Oh, right. right? Yeah, so there's that, two, yeah, two mm, sides of the coin. It's mm, the, from a, a technology vendor perspective, mm, but also in-house. Because mm, that was the angle I was thinking. Oh, was, right, yes. Yeah, so it's a more in-house. So you're in-house and you've created a tech stack of a contract management system, a document management system, all that kind of stuff. And now there's going to be these new solutions that are hopefully a little bit cheaper, maybe not, but cheaper, but has way more capability. Like, would you have been better off just holding back? Mm. I mean, you wouldn't have known, so you, so you don't know. But I just think there's going to be some really difficult conversations happening now where people have invested probably millions of dollars into legal technology that they're going to have to roll back mm. because if they don't, they're going to fall way behind. Mm. So I thought that was spicy. <laughs> um, look, some other things to kind of close out is she mentioned that there's going to be new tech providers, uh, you know, brand new technology mar- uh, brand new technology providers in the market. Technology vendors that sold X now will now sell Y tomorrow. I think that makes sense. Um, and she kind of ended with a call to action, uh, which was don't fear it, lean into it, mm. which I agree with. And I think everyone in the, room, uh, in the room agreed to it. Sounds like a great session. Should we get to the next one? Let's do it. Okay, bunch of 
provocative thoughts there, Alex. Now, while you were in that session, uh, I went to a session called uh, Workday's Legal Ops Journey with Evisorts AI. And this was a session presented uh, sort of primarily by um, Greg Bennett, who is uh, head of legal ops or director of legal ops at Workday. Uh, it also had Tyler Marion from PwC and Jerry Ting from Evisort. And there was a discussion in that session about how Workday and how Greg's team at Workday built a, a specialized contracts repository um, for the purpose of sort of elucidating data, both for the legal team and more broadly. Really interesting. Let's kick into it because I think it's a um, fascinating thing that they did there. We're here with Greg Bennett from Workday. Greg, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. Now, Greg, I just saw your session uh, where you were talking about building a contract repository uh, at Workday, your um, your employer, uh, and it sounded to me like you've essentially sort of built a repository where anyone from within the business can come and run queries using an AI-based sort of search tool to uh, look at the data that's in those contracts. So I'm really interested to know, firstly, what the catalyst was for building something like that. Sure. So I think our, our corner use case that we had was we wanted to get better insight into our contracts at a very large scale. And a few years ago, we had to manually extract all of our customer contracts, package them up, and send them to an, uh, a managed service provider to do the analysis for us. And that equated to a few weeks and X amount of dollars to perform. And we got that information back. After that exercise, one of our executives said, like, hey, there's got to be tech out there that we can use to get this data faster. And incidentally, um, an Evisort salesperson who I've known for a while called me and said, like, hey, we, I'm at this company. Can you want to come check out this, this platform? I said, sure. But then when this, when this kind of query came up, I gave him a call, definitely. And I got the demo, and it made it made the demo made its way up into the executive ranks, and they're like, "Hey, this is really interesting." And we got more and more involved, and we even ran a, a proof of concept on it, and we ultimately procured the platform. And when we rolled it out, it was to, it was very clear that it was going to be useful from day one. And so, on that note, um, what are people actually doing with it? So, yeah. they've got access to this sort of awesome repository with these smarts to query it. Yeah. And what sort of queries are being run? Yeah. So that, that's a good question. So, when I first launched Evasort, you know, I first thing I said was, "Hey, there's some complexity here." So we hired a, an actual Evasort program manager internally, and what we did was we built a program of slow movement. So we knew that it wouldn't, it wouldn't succeed if we, just, if we just released it onto people's desktops and say, hey, here's this, there's this AI platform. You can go search contracts, go at it, go crazy. Here's a five-minute video, right? So what we did is we, we brought in that program manager. And the first thing we did was, A, go to the, each department and do an Evasort demo, and B, create more of a managed service rather than people actually interfacing with the, with the application do, this, do the searches for them because there's a layer of complexity there so you're building data models you're building AI actual AI data models and tagging provisions and what comes out is actual useful data right so 
we've been, we were able to build a lot of groundswell around that service. And ultimately, it's very successful and it's highly sought out because first there was some basic searches. Now there's th- these crazy complex searches, not just from an internal legal department, but from other areas like procurement, security, a lot of different re- you know, RevRec organizations that come and they say like, hey, this is interesting. We need some fast information. And I guess the question from my perspective is, looking into the future, what do you see the role of the legal function now? So I assume that there's hopefully less and less queries of a certain type of nature going to the legal team. Is, is the kind of idea to get them out of that process altogether? Is it only to focus on the really strategic stuff? Yeah. So, you know, when we look at Clock, mm. this organization, and we see every, everyone's here is to make lawyers' lives easier, right? So even in more progressive organizations you know, in a contemporary view, we see attorneys doing work that they probably shouldn't be doing. So, you know, in the future, when I think of AI, I think of the capabilities when you do a generative AI and say a red line contract comes in, I envision like platforms like Evasort would be able to say, hey, they'll look at the red line and they'll automatically apply a response to that red line. You know, within seconds. Mm. And, you know, historically, that takes a long time for an attorney or contracts manager to do. But just that level of a complexity taken away and that time given back, it's a game changer. It doesn't mean that the lawyers won't be lawyers anymore. They'll be able to focus even further. And so that high volume, low complexity work will be slowly mitigated over time. Right. And that that work that traditionally went to the legal team is now getting done to some extent by the business. So how's that adoption been? Are, you know, are people using it? Are they happy to kind of spend, I'll call it a little bit more time and maybe you'll tell me that's wrong, but how's that adoption been? Well, I think we're early on into that adoption because um, like I said in my um, panel is we just finished the main connector into our, our, main, con- our main contract repository. So our next milestone is to open it up in a general fashion to people just doing basic searches and to be less less rigid about you have to come through me but now we'll be opening with a more change management approach a training and understanding of how the system operates so to answer your question not so much adoption yet but future future growth for sure now i've got a question here it I think it's going to be my last, but we'll see. And it's also without notice, so I don't know how this is going to go, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Okay. Um, it's not particularly scary. Um, you know, there's this, there's this issue of using this new process, using this new system to save effort, time, money. But it strikes me there's another advantage, which is that it's real time. So previously, you might have sent a bunch of contracts to a managed service. They do a review. You get it back in a package. And then that's sort of static data. But now I think you've got something which is approaching real time. You can run dashboards off it, et cetera. Mm-hmm. How has that sort of been relevant to the use cases for this kind of system? Uh, extremely relevant. So, you know, we, we just as a use case for Evasort, when we brought it in, we had to do a manual extractions of the contract and dump them into Evasort. And then we spent the better part of last year um, building that dynamic connection with our, our Salesforce platform. So it's only been two weeks, but we no longer have to wait a full quarter to go to IT and say, hey, can you pull out of our contracts and all of that data now? And it's a three-week process to do that and then to harmonize it with the team at Evasort. Now, 
as a contract gets executed, it comes into Evasort. So that has been happening over the past two weeks, and we, we totally feel the difference already, for sure. Wow, it's very early days. Yeah, um, for sure. Yeah, thank you very much for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. All right, so that was the last session we went to on the first day, and that was followed by networking drinks. So networking drinks um, happen on each of the two main days there. And we're going to come back and talk a bit about the drinks later on. They're a core part of the event. Another thing that's core part of the event, Alex, is the parties that happens in the <laughs> evenings. Uh, and again, we've um, actually got some audio from some of those parties, so that will probably be the uh, well, it will be the topic of a later episode. Anything you want to add, Alex? Before we get into day uh, two, that my my matching outfit um, got a, a few comments, <laughs> so you'll have to wait to that next episode where we interview a few people. But I mean. I think that the kind of nightlife of of um, of, of this event, the the um, Clock Global Institute, it, like half of it happens at night. Like, yes, mm-hmm. there's the stuff during the day, which is important, and you get to learn and meet some people. But like, equally, the networks that you create and the conversations that you have over a few Bruskowskis, a few beers or cocktails or whatever you're drinking, are also really valuable, right? So. It's the other half of clock. Um, so we will, yeah, paint a picture or paint an audio picture of that in another episode. Mm, couldn't agree more. Um, all right, so day two, like the first day, day two started with an opening session. It's a little bit different on day two and it follows a similar format to what they've had in previous years. So the first part of the opening session, uh, they announced some scholarship winners. So Clock runs a scholarship program for, I think it's university students uh, and a number of students can apply or maybe get nominated or a bit of both. Um, and then they announce, I think it's 10 um, winners and they sort of get up on stage and get their awards. Um, they also run Legal Innovation Awards and they gave out uh, awards to three participants um, in this opening session. And then we had a really interesting um what, what would I call it? A sort of professional development seminar, I suppose, by um, a person called Baratund Thurston. He has his own podcast called How to Citizen. Um, not really any particular legal content, just a really, really interesting story about his life and how he sort of shows up and participates at a citizen, as, as a citizen in the world. Uh, I am not going to try to summarize that here because it was a wide ranging <laughs> discussion. We did not record any audio. So I'm just, that's why I'm giving you a quick summary of that opening session here. It really was excellent. And from there, uh, we both went to our sort of first, um, I, suppose, I suppose I'd say substantive session of the day. Uh, and this one was called Three Impactful Use Cases of AI. It was jam-packed, as you'll hear from the audio. So let's kick into it. All right, Alex, first session on day two of Clock entitled Three Practical and Impactful AI Use Cases. So as the name and as the title suggests, it's all about how to use AI in practice. Um, Firstly, I'll just say it was a very, very full session. The queue leading out the door was very long. Uh, There was standing room only by the time uh, the actual uh, session started. Um, I thought it was excellent. I'll give some thoughts, but I'll give you the opportunity to speak first. So high-level thoughts? Yeah, well, um, firstly, I think my voice might sound a little bit different. Um, Maybe. Maybe. (laughs) It is is day two in Vegas. Mm. Um, Look, they broke it down into those kind of three main categories. I might do the first one. Let's chat about that. So the first was kind of spend management, um, which they talked about, in my mind, a fairly simple use case, which is really just to summarize the tasks and the work within 
invoices. Mm. Now, this isn't new in my mind. I think there are many solutions out there that are currently doing this. So I started to ask myself, like, what's the value here? Mm. And I think the obvious thing is, well, you can review your invoices quickly. Mm. But then I started to think, well, isn't this probably better upstream? Like, why aren't law firms using this kind of technology to, yes, you know, send an invoice with leads format, but then summarize using GPT? Like, why, do, why does the buyer have to do that? Why can't the, why can't the seller do that? Um, and then I started even going further and think, well, hang on, is this even relevant if we don't have the billable hour? Mm. <laughs> um, so I was thinking about that. Like, are we solving a, a, a problem that shouldn't necessarily even be a problem in the first case? So I went down a little, little rubber hole in my, in my mind. And then the last thing was, what is a better use case for this within kind of spend management? And I was thinking, well, why can't we use the data within our invoices to get more confident on AFAs, Mm. alternative fee arrangements, particularly fixed fees? So whether you're a law firm and you want to get more accurate at being able to understand how much it costs to deliver something, Mm. then you can use that kind of technology Mm. to estimate or better estimate. And then on the in-house side of things, you can check whether or not you're getting ripped off or not, Mm. getting Mm. a good deal. So... Now my thoughts, your thoughts. Oh, well, I'll just say that point you just made, I think, was made by one of the speakers, actually. Mm. So ho- hopefully you can use a technology like this, as you say, mm. to uh, better estimate the work involved in any matter and therefore have a fixed fee arrangement, which is more accurate. Essentially what you just said, I yeah. agree. So yeah. that was actually made. Um, no, not much more to add. I actually hadn't thought about the upstream implications. <laughs> I think it's a great point. Um, look, the, the point that was sort of made here was that, you know, reviewing bills, working out what time has been charged, working out who's doing what um, on those matters is not... A, it, it's, it, it's not a very high value task mm. and it, arguably it's not a legal task at all right so mm, you know get this done by uh, someone or something else and then you're going to save time you're going to save value you're going to free up that um, valuable legal resource for what it should be used for yep so that was a consensual point do you want me to cover the next one yeah yeah so the next one was uh, contracting and there was a little video showing the use of a co-pilot system within uh, the Onnit system in this mm. case so Onnit was one of the sponsors or was the sponsor of this session uh, and essentially it was showing um, a sort of uh, a user um, performing a search uh, for a clause within the contract, but not by searching for particular terms or particular words, by describing the type of clause that they were looking for. Mm. And then uh, if the system finds such a clause, it could uh, prompt with suggestions for how to change the drafting. You can hit a button and you can see redlining, for example, and the system can generate the redlining. Or if there's a clause that's missing altogether, then the system could use uh, GPT or some other AI-based technology um, to uh, suggest a clause uh, to go to be inserted into the contract. And I'm assuming that the clause that's inserted would not just be a stock clause from a clause library, but would actually be uh, amended so that it uses the definitions, etc., that are in the contract already. I don't know for sure. We didn't see that in the demo, but otherwise, I'm not sure what the AI component would be. So um, that was the that that was what was shown. I think this is quite a powerful use case. I mean, the reality is AI is already being used in contracting, um, and you know the sort of leap here, which is not new for this system and others already doing this as we know, uh, but is the review aspect, not just the generation aspect. Mm, yeah. Okay. Um, look. My thoughts were kind of summarizing contracts. Like you said, it's, it's been used in... Con- AI has been using contracts or contracting for, for a while. Um, but they mentioned a few specific ones. So like things like template management, mm. which in my mind kind of broke down into like creating templates. So you might have a whole range of contracts you're executed. Can you turn that into a template? Um, updating those templates as well. So say, for instance, you're executing something and then you've, you've changed it. Um, then it will say, like, do you want to update your kind of templates or fallback clauses or things like that? Uh, the other one was kind of, and this comes to the next one I'll talk about, which is risk management, consistent application yeah. of 
the risk profile within the organization or the, the legal team or whatever it may be. So you can use generative AI to basically do that more consistently. On the risk management point, providing consistent advice, I know that's a challenge a lot of, well, really any knowledge worker <laughs> in general, but legal service provider, law firm or in-house has, whether that's providing contractual advice, any kind of advice, providing it um, consistent, uh, poses a risk to organization. Um, standardized clauses, we talked about that, fallback clauses and impositions and things. So I think everyone knew that contracts was going to be on that list and it made, it made sense. Mm. Now, interestingly, Jean Yang from Onnit made the point that for their organisation, what they're seeing is that um, 70% of their customers are adopting this use of AI in the contracting space. And yeah. it's actually the highest uh, adoption rate for any uh, sort of part of the businesses that they um, offer or part of the services that they offer. So I think that's interesting that it's, um, it seems to have its highest take-up rate in the contracting space. Yeah, yeah. I'll take us to the last one then. So we're, the last kind of use case was legal requests. And I hadn't actually thought about this mm. in this amount of detail uh, until today. But the use case that they showed, again, they showed a video, is to kind of create a matter, if I can call it, mm. from an email chain. So imagine an email tra- chain, you're a lawyer, and it has some instructions, it might have some information about the other party, etc. What Generative AI could do is turn that into a request. And I think the real powerful thing behind that is not necessarily the request, it's collecting the data to mm. create the request. Mm. Like one of the things that holds back in-house teams from using a matter management system or even law firms using it effectively, a case management system, is just collecting the data mm. and having to put in five or six different fields. Mm. Whether they do it or not, do it consistently, do it correctly, like it just means that your data is not going to be that valuable. Mm. So using a system that can generate that for you is great. Now, you still have to check it. <laughs> you know, it's doing the 90%, so you got to check that 10%. But I think that's that's great. It's, it's a good use case. Mm. This was one of those things that I think if someone described it to me, I would think, oh, that's a sort of little thing that it's doing. It's just a small win. Mm. But actually, when you see the demo, it made me realise this is um, a significant change, right. I think. Because... You know, if you're going to have an intake system, particularly if you're going to expose that to the business, then as one of the speakers said, you are pushing the data entry task onto the business. Yeah. And if you can avoid doing that and have an AI-based, any system, but if it's AI-based, great, that can extract that information from an email chain, continue to receive instructions in the way you always have, but get that into a proper system for managing your matters, I think that's actually a big win from a user experience perspective and from a client servicing perspective. So mm. to me, this is one of those, as I said, a small thing that when you see it actually is a bigger thing than I sort of gave it credit for. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Okay. Um, here's a sexy thought for you. Okay. If generative AI can be sexy, which I argue it is. Mm. Um, I was thinking about those use cases and a lot of them are predominantly workflow driven, right? Mm. We talked about spend management, reviewing invoices. We talked about contracts, let's say generation to some extent is workflow driven. And then that last point kind of around matter management or just really creating matters. A lot of this is workflow driven. And I was doing a bit of a, um, exercise of, well, what technology would most functions have right now in order to limit that bar or, or kind of bring the bar down to actually try this technology right now? And that's Microsoft. Mm. Microsoft 365 has Power Automate, Power Platform. You can right now, today, connect Power Automate to things like GPT, which would be able to do, I would say, almost all of those use cases we spoke about. Now, look, there's, it might be a little bit tricky to configure some of that stuff, but you know, if you're a little bit clued on on how to use those systems, could you whip up something that could review an invoice and summarize it? Absolutely. I reckon it would take a couple of hours, <laughs> like not a huge amount of time. 
definitely the legal request thing, you know, as long as you can be comfortable in reading emails and such through organization, which you just have to assume it, you would be if you've got those frameworks in place, you could do that today. Mm. So, you know, thinking about some of these vendors and they're doing a great job, right? It's hard for a lot of organizations to bring that in, right? That technology, it's expensive, it's hard, et cetera. You can start to do this now. Now, there's an obvious, obvious benefit in bringing on a vendor, and that's because of the partnership, right? They're the experts in technology and stuff, and it would make a lot of sense. But go out and try it, is my view. Like, go try it. You've got the technology right now. Give it a go. Mm. I feel like there's more to explore there, Alex, but no. we'll circle back at some other time. We better get to the next session. Let's do it. So, look, as we discussed in that conversation just then, like, there is obviously the three use cases, but there's just so much else to consider here. I feel like we can talk about this for so long and we probably will end up doing a few episodes on this. But um, thinking about those three kind of use cases, again, spend management, contracting, matter intake, and my comment around the fact that I feel like at least those use cases are things that you can do right now using your Microsoft 365 subscription. Maybe you need to subscribe to some other little things, but pretty much using your Microsoft system you can do that kind of stuff so i've been trying to ponder that since then and think well why aren't people doing that um and i've got a few thoughts but i'm sure i'm sure you do too elliot like why aren't we all doing this right now using microsoft yeah well as you say when i listened back to that recording i was thinking exactly the same thing Mm. the reality is people are purchasing stuff from vendors right they they certainly are so they're not all we are not all stringing things together ourselves and i mean my sort of guesses are that people don't know how Mm. that's probably a big thing i think people would worry that even if they worked out how it won't necessarily be high quality enough they don't know how to make it better and then the other thing and i think there's probably not necessarily something that people would think about immediately but if you actually stop and consider it you'd realize it is an issue is that even if you were to string something together and make it work and you were happy with quality you still might get left behind as the rest of the market has resources to put in it so that'll get better and you might get left behind and i just think that the reality is that if you're going to try to make your own ai based something uh, by stringing together existing systems, then you're going to probably need a resource to both build it and maintain it. And I'm not sure that that actually would be a more cost-effective or high-quality result than what you'd get by going and purchasing something from a vendor where the cost is spread over multiple purchases, right? Mm. Yeah, I definitely don't disagree with that. And it's and even before the generative AI or AI conversation, it was the same conversation when it came to, you know, intake, matter management, document management. Like, why can't we use SharePoint? Why can't we use Power Automate? Why can't we use Forms, et cetera? And it's it's probably the same reasons like that you said. Like, it might get you 70% of the way there, 50% of the way, 60% of the way, but it's not going to get you 100% of the way. And then you've got all the other issues of maintaining it and, and those kind of things. Plus, you don't build software. That's not your core skill your core product so are you going to build it the best way probably probably not Mm. i think listening back to it again and kind of i think i made a comment um in the recording just give it a go like this Mm. is such an interesting time where you've got access to this information it doesn't have to be perfect as i always say to elliot give it a fair shake of the sauce bottle just give it a go (laughs) 
Now, from there, we went back to the Vendor Exhibit Hall and chatted with Rachel McBrearty, who is the Chief Customer Officer for Evisort. Now, she is new to legal ops and new to the legal industry, but in a previous job, she'd been involved in operations in a different field. So it was interesting to get her thoughts on some of the differences between those industries and also the respective conference scenes. She also gave us some interesting views on the need for legal tech vendors to better differentiate their messaging and their marketing. So again, interesting chat. Let's check it out. We're here with Rachel McBrayerty from Evisort. You are the Chief Customer Officer. Just want to ask you, what's your impressions on Clock so far? Well, uh, it's my first time at Clock and I am having a fabulous time learning a ton about the industry. I just started as CCO of Evisort this year and have not done a lot in the legal ops space. I've done a lot in sales and marketing and it's been a fabulous experience. I cannot believe how robust the industry is and the the talent in legal ops. And what do you think some of the main differences are? Uh, there aren't, it's interesting from an operations perspective, I find the profile is pretty similar across all operations minded folks. They are remarkably detail oriented, super passionate, hardworking, and I think are often behind the scenes doing so much amazing work that, uh, you know, part of the reason I joined Evisort after coming from a company that worked with marketing and uh, sales operations is uh, to help elevate operations and and, and in the legal space. I just think there's a huge opportunity for them to grow in their careers. And we did a lot at, um, well, my last company was Lean Data for um, operations professionals with a conference called OpStars. And uh, so I think Clock is very similar to OpStars. It really helps to elevate the legal ops profession and teach them the skills they need to move beyond everything they do behind the scenes to really be strategic partners. I'm going to channel Alex here and ask uh, who has better parties. Oh, there's been some. uh, Last night, I think, I was at a party till about 2 a.m. It was amazing. (laughs) And uh, a question um, about lawyers. Any any kind of quirkiness working with lawyers? Is the first time you're working with lawyers from an ops perspective? I think it's a very... uh, contained community. There's a lot of lawyers working with lawyers, lawyers in operations, lawyers on my team. Most of my team at Evisort were lawyers. So it, there's a, little, a lot of lawyers in all the roles. Uh, so I, I don't know. I Hopefully I can break into this community as a non-lawyer. Otherwise, I might have to go get a law degree. I'm sure the lawyers <laughs> will <laughs> accept you. And that might be a bit expensive for that. Yeah. Um, but last question. So as the chief commercial, um, commercial officer? No, customer. customer officer. Sorry. Chief, chief customer officer. You're obviously having conversations with customers any kind of like aha moments like any kind of oh wow that's you know I've never thought of that the feedback on the event overall or at least from a vendor perspective is everybody looks and sounds the same how do we really understand which technology for which use case and who should we work with because we know that not every company is offering the same solution but the high-level messaging has become very consistent and they're hoping that starts to evolve but you know they want as customers are saying well you know we obviously have Evisort for certain use cases but how do we determine what else we need to be doing and you know that we need to be doing a better job I think as vendors and in, in being clear of what is our strength and where we can deliver for them but they did give a lot of feedback like it seems very very much of the same message everywhere Interesting stuff. I want to keep talking, but we want to let you go. So thank you very much for the chat. Thanks for having me. 
All right, the next interview we did was with Jeff Marple. Uh, Jeff works for a company with an awesome name, Kiesel Propulsion Labs. Uh, so Kiesel is a um, sort of a consulting organization and they work with Evisort and other vendors um, doing implementation work. Um, now, this was actually Jeff's sixth clock uh, Global Institute, as you'll hear in the recording. He talked about what he likes about the event and what he gets out of it. As it's similar for us, Alex, it's you know about relationships and sort of catching up with people we know. Um, and then he spoke about um, Evisort's uh, recent integration with ServiceNow, which I actually found fascinating. So let's just get into it. We're here with Jeff Marple from KP Labs. Jeff, uh, we were just chatting. So this is your sixth clock, I believe. Yeah, so tell us, tell, us, tell us how it's progressed over time. Yeah, oh, over time. Well, uh, when I first started my first clock, I was new to legal ops and clock was just a fantastic, fantastic place to come. Uh, it was kind of like getting a master's degree in legal operations. So this is when I was still in-house. Yeah. Um, over the course of the years, I've uh, you know I've made a lot of strong relationships. So, Clock Now is like it's one of the it's one of the funnest events that it, you know on my calendar every year, um, and uh, it's kind of like uh, going to homecoming. So I see all my friends. Uh, what have they been up to? Trying to learn more about what they're doing. Uh, some are colleagues, some are clients, uh, and uh, it's just fantastic. I'm having a great time. All right, so, now be honest. Yeah. How many parties did you go to last night? I went to one, two, three parties last night. <laughs> yeah, three different <laughs> Three parties, okay, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, um, I've lost my train of thought now. Oh, sorry. Alex, um, so, again, we were chatting just before we started recording that yeah. uh, you guys work with Evisort and there's a new um, integrations. So you want to tell us a bit about that? Yeah, it's fantastic. So, yeah, we're trusted partners with Evisort. We do a lot of implementation work and special projects for them. Um, we have uh, two, two main areas in our practice. One is my practice, contract intelligence. We also do a ton of work uh, around business process automation, a.k.a. workflow. Today, Evisort announced a uh, partnership and an integration with ServiceNow. ServiceNow is basically the king of workflow. They're in 80% of uh, Fortune 500 companies. Um, so, uh, you know, for us, for KP Labs, who focuses on both workflow and contract intelligence, it's kind of an integration made in, in heaven. Uh, so we're very excited about what opportunities that may lead to. Uh, just so I get a head around it, what's the, what's the use case? What's the use case? Yeah. So uh, as far as I understand, it's very, very new. Okay. Uh, but uh, information and documents can be moved from uh, ServiceNow into uh, Evisort, and then uh, Evisort can get information out of those documents and send it back into the workflow. Oh. Um, so what that means is you might have a situation where, say, uh, an alert goes off because there's a renewal window that's coming up within 60 days, um, and then you could push that into the workflow to notify that person. Then, and, and then the beautiful part about this is then you can leverage the data that you're collecting or operationally to make sure that person is actually doing the renewal, how many renewals that they have uh, in their inbox, et cetera, et cetera. That is a potential example. I don't know... All that much about this is very, very hot off the press yep. news, so we'll, we'll see how that plays out. But that is an example of, of one, one thing that you can do. Sounds awesome. Yeah. Uh, enjoy the rest of the conference. Uh, right. Thanks for the chat. All right. Thank you so much, guys. Good thanks. to meet you both. You too. All right. All right. So now we didn't just go to a regular session, Elliot. We went to a super session, um, and that super session was called The New Era of Knowledge Management, and boy, did I get excited. Um, I'm working with a lot of different companies at the moment around knowledge management, so anything that had a knowledge management tinge to it um, and not necessarily an AI tinge to it, I was excited just to you know change it up a little bit. We got there, and what did they talk about, Elliot? Combination of both? <laughs> well, I, I would say majoritively AI, generative AI, and then knowledge management as well, but hmm. I think it was the smart thing to do, right? Like it's a bit 
tone deaf to to have a super session um, and not talk about generative AI. And I won't say too much now because we'll go straight into the session. But I, I was going to, I was going in expecting knowledge management, and I came out learning a lot more. So let's listen to our thoughts. All right, getting towards the end of day two now, and we just went to a session. Uh, it was called Super Session, the new era of knowledge management. Uh, the speakers were Charlene Barone uh, from Orange Theory, Jason Baymig and Mary O'Carroll from Ironclad, Jason Kwan, who is the uh, GC at OpenAI, uh, and Christina Wojcik, I think it is, uh, from Citigroup. Very interesting session, all about AI and knowledge management. Not that much about knowledge management. I'm going to throw to you first, Alex. Thoughts? Yeah, yeah. So I saw the session. Firstly, I got excited because it said super session. And I was like, look, sign me up if it's a super session. Secondly, it's about knowledge management, which is something I've been thinking a lot about recently. A lot of the clients that I'm working with are thinking about knowledge management. So I was like, sign me up. Got there. And I think they spent the first 10, 15 minutes not talking about knowledge management. So I was a bit confused. Uh, but they circled back to it, which was cool. But look, because it was a panel, it was a different kind of session to like a lecture style that we've kind of been to. So it's actually quite hard to get some really succinct points because there was just so many points. But one thing I did kind of take away, which I think is a common theme around kind of AI taking jobs and other things, the, the kind of general consensus is that, you know, AI, generative AI, you know, will, won't result in, um, in people losing jobs. It will just result in people that do those jobs doing more of the job. Which I thought was really interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the, you know, the GC of OpenAI talked about in the kind of developer world for, for coding, everyone was worried. Okay, well, if you know ChatGPT can code a website now, what are developers going to do? Well, they just end up doing more coding. Writing more code. <laughs> yeah, they're yeah. writing more code. Exactly mm-hmm. right. So within the legal kind of sphere, whilst we don't really know what applications are going to be, yes, there's probably going to be contracts, and yes, there's probably going to be other things. Like what, what's going to happen? Mm-hmm. Likely they're going to be doing more of whatever that work is. Mm. And we saw that 15 years ago or 10 years ago with e-discovery. Everyone was like, oh, man, you know, AI is coming to take our jobs and so on. Well, it just meant that there was more litigation. Yeah. So really, there's not a lot of losers in that case. Well, well, Jason Baymig made the point that um, if this results in more contracts, mm. that probably is a good thing because contracts address risk and that means more risk risks being addressed, essentially. Right. So I can see that point. Um, look, the, the one sort of point I wanted to draw attention to was the discussion, which, as you say, happened towards the end where we talked about, or they talked about knowledge, knowledge man- management. And there was a distinction drawn between knowledge management and knowledge work, where I think the sort of concepts were that knowledge management uh, is about organising existing knowledge, structuring it, making sure you know where it is. And knowledge work is the assembly of that knowledge using uh, sort of human skills, essentially, into something that is useful. In the case of legal, it might be a contract or a piece of advice. And the point that was made was that the knowledge management part of that work, if that's what you think knowledge management is, uh, which is the capture, uh, 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 tagging, for example, organisation, that probably will be replaced by artificial intelligence, leaving only the smaller part of it, which is the part that requires the human intervention. So I thought that's an interesting point. Yeah, so I guess using the same kind of contact we talked about before, like, is it going to replace knowledge management? Well, yeah, like, that's what you just said. If that's what you mean by knowledge management. Yeah, yeah, but Mm. is the outcome of that more managing of knowledge? Perhaps. Yeah, maybe. Mm. Mm. Anyway, really good session, very hard to summarise. Let's get to the next one. Well, that's networking drinks. Let's get to the drinks. (laughs) Let's do it. 
All right, so that was our thoughts on the Super Session. Now, I think we, as we said, we were off to drinks from that point. But before we get to that, I just want to quickly stay on that discussion for a Mm. moment. So, you know, there was this sort of discussion that we covered in our recording about how knowledge management um, is, uh, one characterization of it is that it's the capture organization, tagging, you know, all that sort of well, organization of knowledge. And then then there's this sort of other concept, which is knowledge work, which is the idea that, you know, you take that captured and organized um, knowledge, that managed knowledge, and you apply intellect and sort of human cognition to produce a uh, piece of advice or a contract or some other legal work. And as we said, the, the suggestion was that artificial intelligence will replace the first part of that, so the knowledge management, but not uh, the knowledge work although the by automating the knowledge management component that will help to free up resources to allow more knowledge work and so we'll end up with sort of more of both right and i think we came away from that discussion with this sort of question do we agree and i suppose my main thoughts alex when i was thinking about this afterwards uh, after listening to that recording again was yeah i sort of do agree but i think it downplays the extent to which artificial intelligence will eat its way into the knowledge work as well you know, so yes, um, AI has a role to play in capturing, organizing, tagging, etc. But let's not forget that I think it will also have a role to play in that um, work that historically has been the sort of realm of intellect and human cognition. An example I would give is, um, you know, you might use um, a system to um, identify and tag contractual clauses or contractual sort of template provisions. Uh, But then if you have some kind of automated system to assemble that, there's no reason why artificial intelligence can't um, assist you in that assembly of the contract to produce some, you know, template that can then be reviewed and sent to another side. So yeah, my sort of point is that I think AI will affect both, not just the knowledge management component. Yeah, uh, I I definitely agree with that. And I think the other side to this is to what extent will a lawyer or human still be required in the loop. And I think maybe on the knowledge management side of things, there's less risk and therefore less requirement for a lawyer to be in the loop in terms of capturing it, organizing it, tagging it, things like that, right? From a reporting perspective. And then you've got the application of that knowledge where absolutely, you know, day one, it can do 10% of the application, then 20%, 30%, and so on and so forth. But I don't think any organization is going to get to a point where there's no human in that loop. So yes, I agree that it's going to eat into knowledge work, but is it going to eat more into knowledge management? Yes. So I think we're, we both agree with each other, <laughs> but you know, to, to the extent um, that it will eat into knowledge management, sorry, knowledge work, I think less so than knowledge management. And I mean, look, there's a question as to whether we agree with those terms and those definitions at all. But yes, I, I agree with the points you just yeah. made. Do you remember the analogy that um, uh, the the GC at OpenAI was talking about in terms of kind of knowledge management um, being kind of like a like a recipe? So mm. you've got the recipe, which is kind of like the data, and then you've got the application of that, which is kind of like cooking the meal, for instance, which is kind of that knowledge of how to put stuff together. Mm. I'm butchering the analogy, but it was a really, really good analogy. And I wonder if we can get get a hold of that and maybe put it in our show notes because it was really, unless you remember the full analogy. No, but it, but I, I'm not going to try to do it here. But what it reminds me of is this idea that, you know, what is artificial, what is artificial intelligence? Well, we used to say that it was um, a machine doing things that used to be reserved for humans. Right? Mm. Okay, so what are things that, that are reserved for humans because that's kind of an integral part of the definition. And as 
machine learning, artificial intelligence gets better over time, the uh, the number of things that we put into that category as being reserved for humans actually shrinks because machines start to be able to do it, <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah. And the, the example that is often quoted there, which I think is a good one, um, is uh, optical character recognition, right? So scanning a document, getting it to recognize yeah. text. You know, 30 years ago, for example, you could not get a machine to do that well enough that you could replace a human. Today, it's, it's the opposite. You know, that's, I don't know how effective, but very effective. And arguably today, that is no longer considered to be the realm of artificial intelligence because machines routinely do that very mm. well all the time right so mm. yeah, it makes me think of that example <laughs> how do we get from knowledge management to optical character recognition that's interesting <laughs> mm. Mm. um all right so from there we as we said in our recording we went into the networking networking drinks but we had the opportunity while we were there to interview jerry ting jerry is every sorts ceo really interesting discussion let's listen we're here with Jerry Ting, CEO of Evisort. Now, Alex, I think you've got a question you wanted to ask. I'll throw to you. Yeah, so look, the conference has been talking predominantly about AI. There's been some other kind of topics, but somehow it's always come back to AI. And I want to kind of cast your mind back to a couple of weeks ago and the way in which customers have been asking you, hey, how does Evisort kind of think about AI and generative AI? Fast forward to kind of today in the last kind of couple of days where people are either a lot more educated on AI or a lot more confused. So, yeah, I guess the threshold question, have you seen a difference? And if so, what is it? I've seen a huge difference. We've been doing AI since 2016. The first line of code we ever wrote was AI. People thought we were crazy. They said, hey, why are you not building a CLM company? We said, well, people really care about what's actually in the contracts. And so for many years, we thought, hey, maybe you know, we should be building CLM, we should be, and, we, and we did eventually. But if I compare just a couple of weeks ago, people were waking up, waking up to the concept of there's GPT. Right? Yeah. And it was all about hype, and it was about, oh, wow, you know, is it secure? Is there data concerns? Now everyone's actually playing with GPT and they're asking very informed questions. I just came from the booth where I met a client and they said, well, what kind of surgical edits can you make at the clause level? (laughs) And can you understand what we signed in the past and can you generate a clause library automatically based on what we've historically agreed on? Even a year ago, people would say, what is a clause library? Now they've completely zoomed forward to saying, can you generate clause libraries automatically? And the expectation is through the roof. So I think now what needs to happen is vendors need to actually deliver the goods. It's really easy to set up a marketing campaign and say you have AI. Yeah. But what we tell clients and prospects is don't trust anybody. Actually test the product. Send the contract on the call live. Don't send it before. Somebody can't jury-rig it. And then ask the vendors, give me a login and let me play with it without you in the room. Right. Does that actually work? Because what I tell folks is you know, when you're driving a Tesla, you don't wait to see if autopilot works. If it does, you'll be dead. Right? Yeah. It needs to work right out of the box day one. That's the standard for AI. Now, you referred to AI that you were working on, you know, five, six, seven years ago, whatever it might have been. And then we had GPT 3.5, I think it was, in December, November, whatever it was last year. Was that a fundamental shift in the market? Or is, is, are we just working on the same stuff that we were before, but it's just a little bit better now? Or has something fundamentally changed? I think it's been incremental, incremental, and then a fundamental change. Right. And so we are backed by Microsoft. Microsoft is a client. They run global contracting for vendors through Eversort. And so because of that relationship and their investment in OpenAI, you know, we obviously were ahead of the curve on thinking about large language models and how do you build large language models securely but I think it's actually the bigger impact has not, not been on the technology side. It's been on the awareness side. 
you know, even one year ago, people were asking, why do I need AI? Now when we talk to prospects, they've decided already at a global level that they want to use AI. The question is, how do I use it? Now that's a good conversation. Yeah. What's the catalyst? I mean, is it just there's a flood of information? Is it the FOMO, I think we heard, fear of missing out or fear of being first? Like, what do you think the catalyst is? What's that maturity? Why has it happened? I think with GPT and what it did in Q4 of last year is it captured the public's imagination. Right? It showed the public something that is so provocative that they said, oh, wow, the future has arrived. I'll give you an example. My mom called me. <laughs> and she knew that I was building an AI company since 2016. Hey, are you guys using GPT? <laughs> you know, that's awesome. I, when, when my mom calls me, that's when you know that, you know, from an adoption perspective, we're getting into the majority. And so I'm just really grateful for all the work that researchers have done at Microsoft, at Google, at our organization. And we partner uh, closely with both organizations because it took a lot of steps, right? And finally now, everything's starting to come together. But what I will say to the public is you need to work with people that know what they're doing, right? There's a lot of legacy companies who just use OpenAI GPT call and the data is maybe not treated in a more secure way, right? It's, with something so provocative like AI, you need to work with experts so that you know exactly where your data is going, who's looking at it, what's being trained on what. And I think in that perspective, we're still very early as a society. Jerry, thanks for your time. Of course. So that was our excellent chat with Jerry Ting. From there, we got into the networking drinks. Is that the way to say it, Alex? Oh, um, uh, yeah. Just as it, um, zoomed into the network drinks, flowed into the network drinks. I'm trying to think of like a really cool, fun analogy. I, I haven't got it. No. no. Um, and actually at the at those drinks, we sort of randomly interviewed a bunch of people who were there and uh, we're going to play some of that shortly because some of it was pretty good fun. Uh, and then from there, like every night at clock, we went to uh, sort of appreciate some of the nightlife. So Alex, any, uh, any recollections from the parties that night? Uh, Elliot, all I can say is what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. So yeah, there we go. Fair enough. So that, <laughs> so that was, that was the end of day two. Uh, and so that then kicks us into day three, the third day. Now, it's worth saying that by the third day, a lot of people who attended the conference are already on their way <laughs> back to their respective sort of places in the world. So it starts to get a lot quieter on that day. Um, I did actually go to um, one of the sessions that day, which was called Pushing the Frontier, How Applied Data Science Transformed Legal Innovation at Google. And then that was followed by the closing session to wrap up the whole event, which was a panel um, session and uh, was also a clock talk episode. Now we wrapped it all up in this next recording, which you and I recorded just after that closing session. So let's check it out. Okay, Alex, it's day three. It's the last day. Conference is actually over. Mm. We're going to reflect on a couple of sessions this morning. The only two sessions we went to, I think there was one that neither of us went to. <laughs> um, the first one I went to uh, was called Pushing the Frontier how Applied Data Science Transformed Legal Innovation at Google. It was by Steve Gong. He's in the patents team at Google, and he was talking about a couple of things. So firstly, um, how the team at Google has heavily operationalized their processes around uh, creating patents and also maintaining them and potentially enforcing them. Um, and then he gave some examples of how they're using data that relate to patents, and I'll just 
<clears throat> run through a few of, few of his examples here. So the first one was uh, that they used data um, and AI um, to uh, when a lawyer is working on a matter, whether it be well in this case it relates to patents, but it could be more general. Um, to find similar matters and surface that for the lawyer so they're aware of who else might be working on similar matters uh, and they can see what's been done before. It's almost an, uh, an example of knowledge management. That's like a sort of a basic use case. Um, then he went to a slightly more ex- uh, advanced example. Uh, so given a set of decisions that they might make today, um, how can we predict what the legal team or the business will look like in one, five or potentially ten years time. Mm. So the reason I think that was more advanced is because of the, uh, the extent to which they're casting those forecasts out. Uh, and then he said that more recently, and this is not rolled into production yet, um, they are looking to answer more, how can I put it, um, more sort of general questions or, more, or less well-defined questions. Um, and the example he gave was <clears throat> um, using AI to measure the convergence of strategy and execution. Hmm. Now, that's a very broad fra- phrase. and He didn't really go into any detail about exactly what that means. Um, but I think kind of whatever way you interpret that, that's a very broad question. Right. Hmm. Um, and then he spoke about what you need to do in a legal team uh, to establish a culture around da- data and a culture around AI. Uh, and he sort of touched on a few core uh, elements The first one was to establish a data culture, so a culture of uh, collecting data, storing data, keeping data of high quality, utilising that data. Uh, He said it's important to see the whole journey, so don't focus on narrow use cases, one dashboard um, or one product. Think about uh, if you're going to roll out a product that utilises data, think about the user journey um, through that product. And then really importantly, he said it's... um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a foundational matter to invest in data quality. Again, he didn't go into a lot of detail about what he actually means by data quality, but those were the elements he said that are important to, um, to focus on to establish uh, an AI and data program, essentially. Mm. Mm. Well, full disclosure, I didn't go to that session. <laughs> I had every intention to go to that session, um, but it was the last night of, uh, of the clock conference, so um, stayed up maybe a little bit too late slash early in the morning but I mean you know how passionate I am about about data and and what I'm hearing there is they're moving into the more advances uh, uh, more advanced stages of of um data use I'll call it and like the the three main categories is kind of like thinking about how do we use data to understand what happened so looking backwards and then you get a little bit more advanced you start to think um you use that to understand what's happening right now so you've got more sophisticated systems you can understand maybe what the team is working on from a massive management perspective what I'm hearing they're using that for is the next and last stage, which is what's going to happen, mm. predictive analytics. Mm. And that's very cool. Mm. If you can think about what's going to happen now, 12 months from now, five years from now, then imagine the decisions that you can make. Like it's kind of like being a, a time traveler almost. You can predict what the future is going to look like to some extent and build your team. Mm. So you're never kind of, well, not never, but less likely to lag behind. Everyone's been in a position where 
the work has increased and now you're kind of three or four months behind trying to hire people. Like mm. it's a difficult position to be in. So would have been a good session if I hadn't gone. <laughs> well, and, and he made the point actually that, uh, you know, he's from Google, right? And so right. they have the infrastructure to be doing this well <laughs> and not just, yes. not just from a sort of hardware and software perspective but also from a thought leadership perspective, right? right. So, so if anyone's going to be able to do data well in a legal context, it, it, it really should be the team at, at, at Google. That's a lot of pressure. Mm. Um, all right, so we'll just quickly talk about the last session of the yeah. day, which we've just come out of. Uh, so it was a uh, clock talk uh, sort of wrap-up, I suppose. Mm. And by that, <clears throat> by that I mean, uh, so Clock has a podcast. It's called Clock Talk. Um, Jennifer McCarran is the host. Mm. And uh, so they did a wrap-up session, uh, which was also recorded, and I believe will be published as a podcast episode for the Clock Talk podcast. Um, so it was Jen with uh, three guests, uh, Virginia Griffith, who's from Legal Bill Review, Carl Morrison, previous Legal Ops, uh, Legal Ops podcast guest, uh, who's now at Mod Council. And I actually didn't properly ca- uh, catch the fourth name. I think it was Jennifer Maxim, I think. Mm. Um, and look, it was a very wide-ranging discussion um, speaking about uh, authenticity, a lot of discussion around situations where um, they've felt the imposter syndrome um, in their daily work and what they did to sort of overcome that. Um, and uh, yeah, and then actually uh, Jennifer Maxson gave uh, an interesting example of a situation where uh, she had someone uh, say to her, uh, in, in a sort of formal setting that that person would support a project mm. and then afterwards uh, <laughs> uh, sort of message her separately to say, I'm going to work against that project yeah. and what she did to address that situation. And what she said there was uh, she sort of tried to work out uh, what makes that person tick and meet that person uh, sort of where they're at. And if that didn't work, make them the project sponsor so mm. they feel responsibility. So, yeah, very wide-ranging discussion, a few interesting points there. Uh, very relaxed is probably what I'd say. Yeah, and you know, like I think you said they're going to release that in a couple of weeks or something like that, so everyone has to tune in and check that out. But it's interesting, just on that point, actually, I was casting back to the conversation um, uh, with, is it Michael, the Microsoft, what's, I'm trying to think of his name, Jason Barnwell. Yes. Jason Barnwell, completely different. Who we, were, who we were chatting with in the halls here <laughs> yeah. today, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he said, like, you're moving from not meeting people where they're at, but meeting people where they should be. Mm, yes. Like, that's such an interesting point. Mm. Like, think about... Um, well, they might be in the wrong place. I they think might be in the wrong place. Mm. Yeah, pick them up and drop them somewhere else. And I, just, I was just thinking about it in the context of, you know, being in that room of decision makers and everyone kind of nodding their head and whatever. And then I've, I've been in situations where, you know, people have probably nodded their head, but they're thinking, I'm not going to do this. But they haven't <laughs> called me and actually said, I'm actually going to go against this. Mm. And in that situation, you can't really meet them where they're at because where they're at is... Not happening. Mm. Like you have to meet them where they should be. And that comes down to influence and and those kind of things, which I think they talked about it at a pretty high level. Mm. Alex, have we had enough clock? Um, I reckon let's go back to the start. Let's do it again. (laughs) (laughs) I'm I'm ready for another couple of days. No, I am looking forward to getting home. Um, Got a big flight ahead of us, uh, 15, 16 hours or so. So, yeah, looking forward to that. Thanks, Alex. Thanks, Elliot. All right, look, there's probably not much more we can add to that. Um, Reiterating, had lots of fun again. Uh, Like last year, I got COVID on the way back, which is awesome to recover from. Uh, A lot of people ask me, is it worth it? Yeah, I think so. Um, Always lots of fun. Elliot, any last thoughts? 
Well, just a big thanks to Evisort for sponsoring this episode, for making this episode possible, making it possible for us to attend the event, Um, and also for all that interesting and excellent content we got by speaking to them and from a number of their sort of awesome clients and partners throughout the event. So, yeah, that was really good. Yeah. So we will now leave you with a bunch of random little interviews that we did over the week. Um, Hope you enjoy. All right, we're on the floor. It's end of day two. It's networking drinks. Um, Tell us, who has the best merch on the floor? I would say it's not about the merch, but it was about the popcorn. Oh, nice. The suit. I had three of the popcorns. Very effective. Okay. Um, now, can I interrupt? So we know the guys from Pursuit very well, yeah, yeah. a bunch of them being Aussies. And I went over earlier and looked at their booth and said, the only merch you have is pens, <laughs> to which the response was, what about the popcorn? So I think that, is, so I think that is merch. Yeah, so there you go. It goes a lo- definitely goes a long way. And I, I think a snack throughout the day really helps. <laughs> um, second one, uh, who had the best party last night? Party, I wasn't sure, but a few of us did gather around the blackjack table. Different vendors, different in-house legal ops people, and okay. I would say that was the party of the night. All right. Thanks for your help. All right. Really important question. Who has the best merch on the floor? Uh, there was somebody who had a, a unicorn sword. There was a, it, was a, it was like a lightsaber, and there was a unicorn on it. And uh, I'm not sure it really had much to do with anything, but it was a unicorn sword, and that's pretty cool. I mean, there's nothing better than there's only one thing better than a sword, and that's a unicorn sword. All right, so it's getting late. Drinks day two. Tell us who's got the best merch. Mosaic. What's the merch? Liquid Ivy, uh, toothpicks, Advil, sunblock, Purell wipes, hairbands. Imagine I don't know what that stuff is when bundled together. What is it when bundled together? A recovery pack. Was this useful this morning? Uh, Absolutely. I I would have found it useful as well. Uh, So on that note, where was the best party last night? The only one we went to, we went to the HBR consulting party. It was good. We were there too, I agree. It was good. Thanks for the chat. Yeah.